Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligeris, your host, and today I'm joined by our very own Mark Stiving, pragmatic marketing instructor, pricing expert, and Buckeye fan. And we like him despite the last one. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Mark, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much. It's great being here. All right, now, Mark, you are a pricing expert, right? You've built a career around helping companies properly price products to optimize profitability. I know you've got all sorts of tips and techniques and methodologies, but I also know that you think um, that you can think about yourself as a product, right? That you could be your own product manager, which would mean that we could use those same pricing tips and techniques in order to sort of optimize what we're worth in our professional careers and how much money we can earn, right? That is absolutely true. Excellent. So I want to help everyone listening understand exactly how they can do that. Okay. Let's do that. And, and let's start out with a quick concept. Commodities. As a general rule, commodities don't get much money. They're all the same. They sell for the same price as all the competitors. And so if you were to think about a commodity for a second, think about a factory work. If I could hire somebody to do a job, to put on a bolt, to pull a lever, and I could hire any one of a thousand people, how much do you think that person is worth? Not as much, right? They're interchangeable. Yeah, they're interchangeable. And so, so I truly have a which one product there. I have a commodity product. I could take one out and replace it with another. So one person comes in and says, hey, I'm going to quit unless you give me a 100% raise. And I say, oh, I'm going to miss you, right? <laughs> because I don't have to give them a raise. There's someone else that can do that exact same job. As we start thinking about being able to build value, things that we can do that are so important, then we, you know, we all go to school. Not all of us, but many of us go to school. We learn a bunch of skills and knowledge, and we work our salaries up. But in most cases, we're still just like that factory worker. And, and so when we all go to school to get more and more skills, more knowledge, and, and we get experience in our jobs, yet we're still a lot like those factory workers. Because even though we have more skills than the factory workers do, we have the exact same set of skills as all of our colleagues. Mm. So you're in marketing. Let's take a a bunch of marketing folks. You could have a room full of marketing people. And if you had a big enough company with a big enough staff, I would bet you that a half dozen of those marketing folks are interchangeable. A new project comes in. Which one am I going to give it to? So there's a whole bunch of different people that are interchangeable. And if for some reason you lost one, we could certainly go find somebody to replace that marketing person. Right? So we're still in that exact same situation where one of your marketing folks comes in and says, hey, I really want you to double my salary. And you say, wow, I'm really going to miss you, <laughs> right? Because, because you don't have to. There's someone that you could bring in. Now, there's, by the way, there's more switching costs now. Now you've got to train somebody, et cetera. You've got to bring somebody up. But it's still the same thing, the same person. But the more valuable people become, that value comes from more knowledge, more skill sets, more capabilities, being able to do things other people can't do. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some, just when you gave that scenario, somebody comes in and give you notice, and then there's people that you've worked with in your career, you think, oh, no, I can't afford to lose that one, right? Where they say you have to double the salary, and you think, oh, how am I going to figure out how to do that? 
because they, they're worth keeping. Yes. And, and there are people that are worth keeping because they really and truly are worth keeping. They do so much more than other people do. So much different things than other people are capable of doing. And, and that's really the key. You know, what's funny is I didn't know this. I became a pricing expert and I didn't understand all this concept myself until I look back on my own life. And now I can see exactly what happened. Because in my world, once I became a pricing expert, I truly dedicated myself to understanding pricing, writing about pricing, teaching about pricing. And you know, there are maybe a half dozen people like me in the world that truly care about pricing and share that knowledge. And that's a really unique place to be. Yeah, it's a really small group. Exactly. Now, maybe there aren't a ton of people that want people like me, but, <laughs> yeah. but there aren't that many people like me, which is, which is really valuable because now I have the ability to say, no, 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 I'm worth this instead of that. Right. There's nowhere else for them to go. Exactly. And, and so even pricing people that I know inside companies, they do Excel really well. They do statistics really well but they're still replaceable because there are other pricing people out there that can do those things. Mm. The question is, what are you going to do that's so unique? And, and my, when I look back on my career, the, thing, the single thing I did which made me so valuable was to become an expert. I just said, I'm going to be an expert on pricing. And I think this is true for everybody in their career. If you took yourself for a second, right, VP of marketing, mm-hmm. if if you said, I'm going to become an expert at this, and it doesn't matter what that topic is, let's say it's, and you probably want something that's relatively narrow, but going to be broadly in demand. Right. Turnaround so, marketing for tech companies. Yeah. Turnaround marketing for tech companies. Um, it, it could be B2B marketing on social media. Mm. It could be, right? I mean, there's something yep. that says, hey, once I'm an expert, then everybody's going to come to me because I'm the expert. And it's kind of like when you when you have your own product that you bring to market and you have a specific, you know where your value props are, right? You know what you need to, to kind of tell the market and position it. And that's the same kind of thing you're talking about, right? You are, You decided you're going to be a pricing expert. You're going to position yourself that way. And then you're going to build the skill sets, of course, to back that up. Absolutely. In fact, now that you said that, the funniest thing about my history is one day I decided I want to be a pricing expert and I just put out a blog and a website and I said, I'm a pricing expert. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that, granted I had a PhD, I could believe it, I could pretend to ride the story, but it took years before I truly was a pricing expert. See, you just willed it into being. (laughs) Will and work. (laughs) (laughs) Right, very hard work. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about uh, making it so that you're worth more and you're harder to replace. I think you talked about replacement costs. And one of the things I think we want to make sure we separate too is that there are some people who seem purely focused on making themselves hard to replace by by making things more difficult than they need to be, if that makes sense, right? So they're not really adding value as much as they're, I don't know, creating confusion or adding processes. And so it seems like they'd be hard to replace because they've made this this hodgepodge of things. But that's not what you're talking about, right? You're talking about value that someone finds impactful. Absolutely. So the first type that you're talking about, I would think of as 
gee, I'm going to be the central repository of data, of knowledge, and I'm not going to tell anybody. They all have to come to me. So I'm now irreplaceable. And what's really funny is that that person might be really valuable to the company that they're at, but they're not. They also put incentives for people to want to get rid of them, to want to find ways to get rid of them, because they're also the bottleneck. Right. The problem there. The type of value I'm talking about is really, in fact, it's rarely acknowledged by your current company. If you currently have a job as a marketing person and you go out and you build an expertise and learn a specific skill and build a brand, your current company's probably not going to give you a raise. Maybe a small one, but not a huge raise because you did that. But there's someone else out there that really wants that. And that person would pay a lot for you. This is value in the marketplace, not irreplaceability in your current company is the way I think about this. Right. So then it's highly transferable. Yes. So tell me about your career. Ah, so my career. So I started in advertising and uh, I was a copywriter and I very much love, I still do, I love the creative piece, but for me it really needs to be balanced with the strategic piece. And so it was an easy move uh, to go into marketing uh, versus advertising, which had a bit more of that strategic piece. And then I worked through technology companies. And so I was able to take that expertise with me, uh, B2B, SaaS environments, and, and leverage that. So I have to ask, when you were a copywriter, um, I'm going to guess that you made a lot less money than you make now. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be correct. How many copywriters were around you at the time that could essentially do the same job you did? Uh, there were three. There were three in that company. In that company. Mm-hmm. Yes. But had you gone, how hard would it have been to replace you? Well, they did. <laughs> They're still <laughs> around, right? Yes. I mean, I, I, you know, it's true. I made myself the head copywriter of that group, right, through various means of adding value. But, but yeah, I, I mean, everybody is always replaceable. But uh, it was not nearly as difficult. I was a, a more of a cog that when I left, it wasn't a big downtime, you know, a big struggle to get back up. Yeah. I and mean, I'm sure they were devastated. Don't get me wrong. But. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> but, but the point is the more capabilities you have, the more expertise you have, the more invaluable you become, the more difficult it is to replace you. So back as a copywriter, and, and this is true with all of mm-hmm. our first jobs, we're a cog in a wheel and we're replaceable. Yep. And that's funny because it was a few jobs after that, the first job that I was a director of marketing at, and that's actually the first job where I – came across pragmatic marketing and I, and I built up our product management team and I went to the training and all that. When I left that job, I, you know, I had to give four weeks notice and I gave, I mean, there was like a manual that I had to create to make sure that it was, it could run smoothly when I left. And I never really thought about it, but just in that juxtaposition of here's my two weeks notice, thanks, it's been fun to, oh, Cred, I've really got to make sure this is set up so that those pieces don't fall when I leave. It was a huge difference in, in, the, in the notice and the, in the sort of offboarding process. Yes. And, and it may sound self-serving, but I have to say that this whole concept of pragmatic marketing training fits what we're talking about so well. Mm. Because so many people, in fact, so many people come to pragmatic marketing training, but they don't really go implement it. They don't really go use it. And there's a select few that go back and champion this and drive it and become pragmatic marketing experts inside their companies. And these people become way more valuable in the industry. 
It's true. We see it in the job descriptions, right, where pragmatic marketing certification is required or approved. We can watch it in, in, from our students that we see, right, where they, they came as a, as a student, they came as a product manager, and we can watch them through their career. It's, it is true and self-serving all at once. Yes. And, and we're, not, we're not doing this podcast for that reason, but it's a really great example. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true, and I mean, I think it would be true, and that same idea of applying certain training uh, that you can take the time. I know you are a big Toastmasters guy, right? Yep. That's another area that, you, that in almost any profession, it's going to help you and behoove you if, you if you present well and speak well. And so that's another way to invest in yourself. Um, if you can be the, the voice of your company or the voice of your product line, that's a, a very marketable skill and something that would transfer as well, I would think. Oh, that's absolutely true. I, anytime I'm coaching individuals on how to get better in their life or their careers, it's always Toastmasters is one of the suggestions because it's such a huge learning opportunity. It's so inexpensive, but, but extremely valuable and powerful the, the way they teach people to not only become better presenters, but it also teaches you if, you, if you really dive in and get involved, it teaches you leadership skills that you're not going to learn anywhere else. It teaches you um, self-confidence that you're not going to pick up elsewhere. So hugely valuable. And, and I think the thing that we're talking about here is each individual should be stepping back and saying, what can I do to make myself better today? Because if all you're doing is your job, you're not going to get a raise. You're not going to be more valuable. You have to keep pushing yourself. Think of yourself like a product. And what are the product features you need to add? Think of those product features as capabilities, knowledge base, problems you can solve that other people can't solve. And if you keep pushing yourself and making yourself better and better and better, then you become more valuable. And in fact, if you don't, just like in in today's high tech world, other products are going to come in around you and make you obsolete. So we have to keep pushing ourselves as a product. And I think that's key too, that you have to push yourself. You can't wait for someone else to push you or tell you what you should focus on. It's, you know, it's got to be self-driven. I think that's where the, the, the real success is going to come from. And, it, and again, it's got to be learning things that are widely appreciated or widely transferable. Yeah, absolutely. So here's always a tough one, right? So let's say we're getting better at skills. How do we promote that about ourselves without seeming like we're tooting our own horn? And be like, I am now an expert. It seems, <laughs> but but really, how do I build that up? I mean, so that maybe my internal, my existing company does recognize that and reward that, or to make it more believable when I go elsewhere too. Yes, one of the best lessons I learned while I was watching Toastmasters, um, the the professionals, the guys that are really good, and I learned this lesson, and it stuck with me so much. And that is give away as much knowledge as you possibly can. If you are an expert at something, so for example, I'm an expert in pricing. I blog on pricing. I give away pricing knowledge. I do presentations on pricing. I give away pricing knowledge because when you have a pricing problem, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to me because you've heard of me. You've seen me. You've seen my tweets. You've seen whatever it is. And so if you've built up a new knowledge base, a new capability, what you should be doing is using it for free, giving it away as much as possible, exercising it, because pretty soon someone will recognize it, someone will compensate you for it, 
or you move on somewhere else where you do get that recognition. But if you're not giving it away, if you're not practicing it, no one's going to see it. You're going to do your own content marketing of your stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. And it, and it isn't blowing your own horn. It's actually adding value to people, to people around you. That's true. And, and your company. Yes. Yep. Get the name out. Interesting. Well, what else? What else about pricing can we apply to ourselves? It's pretty hard for me to do a podcast and not talk about will I and which one. But since you've heard this enough, Rebecca, why don't you go ahead and define will I and which one for us? Oh, you know, Mark, if I get this wrong, it's all on you because you're the one who taught it to me. So I know. <laughs> right? you should be the one nervous. All right. So a which one product, which is what most of us deal with, right, is, is when you have more than one option that you're deciding between uh, which one to purchase, right? So you go to the grocery store and there's 12 brands of white bread and you're picking one of them. That is a which one product. A will I product is really where the question isn't which one will I get, but is this something I will do or not? It is a product you might want to think about as a product with no competition or a product where it's really about the bigger question is yes or no rather than which one. You know, we don't want to get too much in this, but the, the EpiPen pricing of recent is, is hard because it is a will I product, right? I mean, it's they're not a bunch of brands and it has a high need. And, and so you have different levels of control on pricing with a which one will I? Because I know which one product, product uh, a change in pricing can greatly affect whether or not someone purchases that. In a will I one, it is not as big a lever because it's uh, it, it doesn't play as big a part in the decisioning process. Do I get to keep my pricing certification? All I can say, Rebecca, is you had an excellent instru- <laughs> So that was beautiful. That was perfect. Now let's apply it to people. When we start thinking about how do we apply that to people, we're now at that position that says, are you an expert or not? Mm. How many experts are there? When, you are, when you're a marketing person and you are one of 100,000 marketing people looking for a job, then it's really difficult to stand out. You are a which one product. Mm. But as soon as you step back and say, I am extremely unique, here's how I'm unique, and you've picked a small enough niche and you've become an expert, and you are the only one, or even if there's a half dozen, you're the only one available at the time, then you suddenly become a will I product. You become much more valuable in the marketplace. That's funny. Even as you describe those two scenarios, and you, I could picture myself in an interview and, and like my whole posture changes. As you ponder, am I, oh gosh, one of just anyone and I don't have anything different or no, I know this. I've got this area and what you could bring to that and what you'd bring to negotiations would be very different. Very different. So I guess I just have to become the seventh pricing expert. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free. Feel free. (laughs) No, thanks. All right. There's room for more. Yes, but that's not my passion as much as it is yours. And I enjoy talking to you about pricing because you do, you see it everywhere. Everywhere you go, every menu you look at, uh, you know, you're uncovering what they're thinking about from pricing. And I I think that's one of the reasons you're so great at it is it really is a passion, not just something you picked um, because there were only five others. Absolutely. And, And so let's talk about what you just talked about. Walk into a restaurant and you see a menu and there's a set of prices and we deconstruct that and we figure out, well, how did those prices get there? Well, now we have a set of employees. Mm, that's interesting. How did those prices get there? 
And it's all the exact same concept where a company is going to choose to pay as little as possible for an employee that gets the work done. It's interesting, too, because it's uh, when you think about it that way, it's not just pricing uh, within, you know, within marketing, let's say, but it's how different companies price or pay different departments. And you can see that in the various companies I've worked with where uh, development, marketing, sales, all those different arms had higher or lower ones based on the values of that company as well. Yes, and it wasn't just that they valued they did value one department higher than another departments, but what that meant was that they got the best people. Yeah. It wasn't just they wanted to pay that group more, it was they wanted better talent. Yes, that was the area where they had the biggest need, and so yes, one follows the other to some degree. Well, if we bring this whole thing back full circle then, we know that companies are, are pricing employees, they're, they're buying employees just like we buy stuff off of a menu. And that, what that really means is that each person is a menu item. And now the question is, how do you get chosen? How do you get a bigger price? And it's all about that which one and the will I and building more value for us, making, making ourselves look more attractive than the other alternatives on the menu. Excellent. So that is definitely how we can drive our, our value up, right? Because we're bringing more value and so we're worth more and we're going to get it from some company, either the one we work with at or somewhere else. I think that's a good lessons to learn for everybody. As the, And these are the kind of things, to your point too, that, that you plan ahead, right? You can't decide you're going to be a pricing expert and then tomorrow become a pricing expert and get paid like a pricing expert <laughs> tomorrow, right? So it's, I think, a good thing for people to, to take time in their career, you know, when they're not looking to switch or when they are happy with what their, their income is right now and kind of think ahead of their own personal roadmap of, you know, hey, where do I want to be? What, um, what is valued in those roles and how can I differentiate myself from other people in those roles and start working towards that? Absolutely. I wish I knew all this when I was younger, but I think as a reasonable rule of thumb, I think the way young people should be thinking is that in their 20s, they should be exploring, experimenting, finding out what they like, where their passions are. And then as they get into their 30s, they should start thinking, where is my expertise going to lie? Where do I want to become that expert or that's that, that most valuable person? So that by the time we get to our 40s, we really are that person. We've got a high earning potential mm. at that time. It's not too late. <laughs> For some people. For some people. It's not too late. For the rest of us, well, we hope we did it right. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you want to add on uh, how to earn a raise? Lessons from pricing? I don't know that I could think of anything off the top of my head, but I've had a blast talking about this. This was great. I appreciate you coming on board, Mark, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again on a future podcast. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Pragmatic Live. 